This is the John Hallett Podcast with John Hallett. Because the way we're living, we need to change it, make a change today, and all learn from failure. Maybe they just wanted it a little bit more than you. That's probably the fact. And now your host, John Hallett. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. Today, I have founder of Integrative Defense Strategies, Todd Fossey, joining me. So we're going to get right after it because I've got tons of questions for him. And we are looking forward to getting into this conversation. So let's hit it. How are you, Todd? I'm doing great, John. Thank me. Yeah, thanks for joining us and using your valuable time to uh, join us on this podcast. Uh, Our goal is always to help people out and spread the word. So anything uh, you've got special coming up on IDS? Oh, man. We are busy. We have instructions. We just finished our level six here. IDS Apex Level 6 here on Sunday, and uh, we have some Level 4s and Level 3s and coming up, and a, and a Level 2.5 at this awesome place I know in Colorado called Rocky Mountain Self-Defense and Fitness, and we have, we have always got all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah, you're a busy guy, so I really appreciate it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you and your professional background? Yeah, um, I, don't know, I think it, if, if I'm going to do this right, I have to take it back to uh, when I was 10 years old. I started studying human performance and the science of the mind-body connection at age 10. I'm 53 now, so I've been at it for a while. Um, had it as a, as I was a Division One athlete, and uh, I had a human as a as part of uh, the practice um, in the mental health and in psychophysiology, and I lectured at medical schools for 15 years on the on the topic topic of psychophysiology and uh, a scientific term called psychoneuroimmunology. And uh, the terror attack happened at the Westgate Mall in Kenya that changed the direction of my life. When I saw that happen, I knew immediately that. Um, I need to apply skills that I have in performance, psychophysiology, firearms, and combatives uh, into making the world a safer place. So I founded Integrative Defense Strategies, um, where we train regular people at a very high level how to defend themselves, those that they love, and other innocent people. So that's what we do. We have about about 40 affiliates uh, worldwide. We uh, we're all across North America, Canada, the United States, and now we're also in Germany and the Philippines. And of course, you're one of our one of our affiliates, and we're very grateful to have you as our as our affiliate. And I also uh, travel around and I do conferences and seminars and workshops and courses um, all across the country and the world, actually. So, so here we are. Yeah, you've got. I'm always surprised about your background and some of the stories you come up with, things you've done. Very impressive. And you just bring a lot to the self-defense realm. Oh, 
I, I think that it's I think that it's important that people come from other disciplines, you know, outside of it. So they're not they're not getting indoctrinated into the the traditional status quo, you know. Um, that way they they don't just think outside of the box. They eliminate the box and they, they come at it from a very different perspective. And I think that's how that's how it takes place in any industry. Yes, I think it's fantastic. I know I was telling a group of my peaceful warrior class that I feel the same way about IDS as finding Krav Maga from traditional martial arts. It was an eye-opening coming from that traditional Hapkido Taekwondo background and then finding Krav Maga. And now I feel the same way about IDS. It just adds so much and gaps and fills leaks um, in the Krav Maga system and especially as somebody that carries a firearm. I am like so thankful that I never got into any situation. Situation. So with before that, I thought I was more prepared and I wasn't. So I thank you tremendously. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, for the benefit of the audience, I, I came up through, the, through traditional Krav Maga and I, I started my firearms training, Krav Maga training in the late 90s. And uh, it didn't take long for me to, to realize how outdated, how outdated the methodology was, but also where the flaws were um, in, the, in, the, in the system itself. Are you having trouble hearing me, John? Am I breaking Oh, up? no. It's just I'm hearing myself, so it's weird for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> like Josh has got me with headphones today, so I'm like, keep messing up. <laughs> it's so it's weird experience for me. So I, get I apologize. I told, oh, I, Josh I get fixed it. it. Not at all. I, I get Sparkle Sash I, actually did something. Hey, you two! <laughs> still here. Sparkle Sash. It's stuck. I just ordered it. I just ordered him a T-shirt. We made him his own T-shirt. Sending you one for Christmas. Sending Todd one for Christmas. He said he's going to send you one. We're going to add custom glitter (laughs) to it. Elmer's glue and and glitter? Yep. Yeah. My manager, Jamie, said she was going to take care of it. I dig it. So, yeah. We love Josh. He's awesome. So, and he does a great job with this podcast. So, oh, where were we? Um, finding IDS it just has changed the way I've looked at training. I, I love it. I mean, I still love the hand-to-hand aspect of Krav Maga. And if you don't have that weapon, but if you do, it is just, it's so different protecting that weapon. And I'm, I love everything I find yeah, well- with IDS. As you know, John, we take what's called logically dynamic approach to training. And if we kind of break down the word ecological, it's the root of that word is eco, which we think about an ecosystem, right? So if we add something to an ecosystem, what does it do to the ecosystem? It changes the ecosystem. And if we take something away from the ecosystem, what does that do? It changes the ecosystem. So also, as you know, John, we have a, one of many of our sayings says, context dictates strategy. So the moment that we introduce the firearm, it changes the context dramatically. And so our strategy has to be, has to be dramatically different. And specific and relevant 
to the task at hand. And, and so that's what we've done. We've designed an entire system, an entire program around self specifically self-defense with the firearm, because shooting is not even close to being enough, especially when we start to bring the data for not only how of human performance, but the data of how violent crime actually actually occurs. Right? Yes. Not the way that the firearms training industry or self-defense industry has has sold it to occur. They've really built a, an industry around what um, their lack of knowledge is and what their lack of skill and, and low level of skill actually is. It, it's, a, it's a false narrative is what it is. It's a false paradigm that creates a, a collusion and the illusion of competence. And where our objective is to train people for real, to actually train people, not to pretend like we're training people. Yeah, I, that's what I love about it. I think it's so different from what's out there. I think I had asked you in level two, you know, are a lot of people coming in surprised by how much, you know, grappling and stuff on the ground and wrestling based stuff that they're actually getting in the system. It's just not shooting at targets. It's, you know, fighting for that weapon. And I think that is so different than what's out there traditionally, and especially somebody going to the range. You're really you know, not fighting with that weapon, that's for sure. Yeah, well, you know, 80% of assaults are simple assaults and simple battery, which, which is happening at contact distance. And now you're carrying a firearm, and almost exclusively there's going to be some type of amble in the really around the firearm. And the meta-analysis also shows that about 31% of those assaults end up on the ground, right? So we really need to know what we're doing once we're on the ground. And then in addition to that, um, the overwhelming aggravated assaults where people are reasonably in immediate fear of substantial bodily harm or great bodily harm or death are also happening at contact distance because they usually involve some type of an impact weapon or some type of an edged weapon. And, and that's the overwhelming majority of aggravated assaults or what are called personal weapons where people are taking hands, you know, punches and kicks and elbows and headbutts, and they're taking that to the point of excessive force or multiple attackers where they're taking that to the point of excessive force. So the overwhelming majority of assaults are happening at contact distance. Not that we shouldn't know how to work at distance with a firearm. Obviously, we should, and we practice that every day, right? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's extremely rare for people to actually, who are not involved with gang warfare, right, to get into shootouts. Yeah. So we want to prioritize our training based on actual, the actual probability of assaults. Yeah, that's what I love about the system and it being data-driven and working things that are high probability. I think that's just fantastic where you see people doing things that I'm like, is that really likely? Are you going to run into that scenario that you're room clearing with your buddy? I mean, what what are the odds of that for the average civilian? Um, it's like it's not. It, yeah. It's, it's not. And so that's what the industry does. They create a form of entertainment. I put out a post on Facebook earlier today, actually, that said that the firearms training industry sells dopamine and Dunning-Kruger effect. That's what they sell. They sell They sell a high. They sell wow factor. 
and uh, and people don't want to work hard they don't want to fail they don't want to blood they don't want to bleed sweat and cry they don't want to show up on the mats you know multiple times a week they just want to show up get their certificates say the big name that they trained with you know get that rush of dopamine get that social media post and put it out there they don't want to actually go through the work to cultivate real competence and that's yes yeah it concerns me tremendously um just for the safety of you know my community when people don't know how to work with their firearm that you know it's always kind of scared me of you know any type of mass shooting that you know i just want to get myself out of there if i can because i'll be afraid to be shot by another concealed carry holder before the fire uh, before law enforcement shows up just because people lack training never mind all the other scenarios that are out there yeah it's, it's actually i think it's actually worse than that i think it's worse than lacking training because the people who are trained have a false sense of confidence Right. They suffer from that illusory superiority and believing that they can do far more than what they actually can, which is more dangerous in some ways than no training at all. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's so true. Um, That false confidence. I just wish people would train more. And I I feel like if they're not, I mean, you're real. I mean, we've been putting some stuff out. Just if you have a firearm, like you need to be trained, you need to be doing this stuff. It, you're going to be so much safer. You just got to put in the work. You got to do it. You can't, you know, just talk about it. It's like I hate when people just want to talk about it and say they have a gun and blah blah blah. They went to the range, you know, like that's not that's not it. Yeah, they train with some former special forces operator, and so somehow, some way, they got magic pixie dust rubbed off on them from someone who worked in in a completely different context anyway that has very little to nothing to do with what their life is on a day-to-day basis or the types of of, uh, interactions or violent interactions or critical instances that they would face that they would face in reality right that's part of it people people in this industry have a tendency not a tendency the habit of conflating two different things into one two ideas into one and it's not intellectually honest it's not semantically accurate and it's not morally objective it has and it has it doesn't pass the rigors at all of anything that would be considered to be scientific yes yeah i think that's you know even um with crowd maga sometimes people ask me if i'm military but it, i've gotten more um with ids and what's the background is is it military blah 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 like this is civilian this is designed for civilians it, it's not a military system what they're doing is a totally different context to what's going to happen to me you know outside of a gas station or whatever the, the situation is that's not the same i think people in, in the industry or out there looking for training are always looking for you know navy seal green beret combat this and you know all that stuff is awesome for the, you know, what they're doing if you're going into combat. But what we're facing as civilians is just so different, but people are just drawn into that movie aspect. Like I said, it's a false, it's a false paradigm. You know, we just refuse to play that game. We specialize in the citizen offender. We've spent 13 years developing this. And don't get me wrong, we have more and more law enforcement who are really interested in what we do. And we actually have affiliates that are police departments and agencies. And and actually one of our affiliates 
brings the SEAL teams using our program, right? Yeah. For, uh, for their covert operations. But um, because when, they're co- when, when operators are covert, nobody knows that they're not a regular person, right? So the context yeah. is more similar. Um, but um, that being said, we feel strongly that it's time to usher in a new paradigm, a, a one that's more intellectually honest, um, that is, gets away from this, you know, this fantasy that's being sold. So the big influences are going to be from the military, which has nothing to do with what we do, doesn't look like what we do at all, from competition shooting, which it looks nothing at all like what violence looks like, right? Or from law enforcement. And those contexts are completely different. That's not, we're not here to disparage those paradigms or those, those contexts. Those are important contexts. But they aren't in the world of motor learning. There's something called representative design, representative task design. So we want to make sure that the things that we are training for are specifically representative to the types of things that we would actually be performing. Yeah, I love that aspect of what you do. It's fantastic. It's, you know, those traditional shooting drills just aren't representing what you're going to be faced with with somebody, you know, with a knife or just making that decision. Like the, you know, the short time that we've been doing IDS, putting uh, students through different drills, and you know, they're giving up their concealment. They're not running their OODA loop. They're not looking around and observing you know, what's going on and making that decision to go for the firearm when they have a blunt object, you know, they they have a knife, they pull a knife, those type of scenarios. I think it's just fantastic. When and how, right? When and how to go for the firearm. So uh, it's all about decision making, isn't it? It's all about yeah. decision making. And so the whole point of the ecologically dynamic approach to training, and by the way, the research supports this, big time that if you really want to improve performance that you need to be you need to be combining your decision making with your motor skills at the same time so essentially what the research shows is that we don't first practice skill development and then skill application we actually want to practice with skill development and application happening simultaneously right so we we're, we're, we we hear it all the time in this industry they'll say train like you fight but the reality is they're not training people like they fight at all, like not even a little. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot in the industry that needs to change or, you know, wake up to, yeah. you know, the stuff that, you know, things that you're bringing in from your background are just fantastic. I've not really had anything like it in all my training in the last 25 years. So I greatly appreciate it and getting to be involved in a system like that to, give people groundbreaking stuff to change the paradigm. It's fantastic. Well, we're grateful to have you. We're, ha- we're grateful to have people who have the eyes to see it and the ears to actually go out and implement it. And it is, it's changing the industry. And uh, do you mind if I, I have something here that I'd like to read if that's okay? Yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's, about, it's, a, it's a cognitive bias, which is what's happening within all over the place, but specifically within our industry, there's two different names to this cognitive bias. It's called system justification bias. It's also called the status quo bias. And here's the definition. The status quo bias is the tendency to defend and bolster the status quo. Existing social, economic, and political arrangements tend to be preferred 
and alternatives disparaged, sometimes even at the expense of individual and collective self-interest. So what that says is that even though people will see and know that something that they're observing is going to be better for them individually and better for the collective as a whole, they still won't do it, especially if they have some type of a political or economic benefit for themselves. So in other words, they sell their souls. They would rather sell out than pursue what's best. And that's what I love and respect so much about you and your staff is that you used to do that. You refuse to sell out, but instead you want to, you want to make sure that you and your organization is providing the possible training so that people can have the best possible outcome if they're faced with a life and death critical incident or even not even not a life-threatening critical incident yeah whoops you cut out right there it's important hear me two one two can you hear me i i got you back okay so I think that it's important that people understand that they're probably falling into the system justification bias or the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yes. Can you tell everybody quickly about Dunning-Kruger that might not know what that is? Yeah. So the Dunning-Kruger is also a, a cognitive bias where, where people have called in a what's called a check one two one two can you hear me okay now yeah we now, lost you, you right at yeah i can hear you we lost you right I at think I, the very beginning the very beginning yeah yeah, right at the beginning of you explaining Dunning-Kruger. Can you hear me now? Uh, it's a little broken up, but I think it's okay. That's okay. How about now? Looks like yes. I'm streaming now. How's that? Yeah. Okay, so I'll say Dunning-Kruger effect again. So the Dunning-Kruger effect is when people, it's a cognitive bias where people of low ability suffer from what's called an illusory superiority. In other words, they believe that they're far better at something than what they actually are. And at the same time, they suffer from what's called a metacognitive inability to recognize. So they're worse than something. Me, John? No, yeah, you're cutting out. Sorry about now. that. No, it's okay. Yeah. Darn internet. So anyway, that's all right. So yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, in the industry aren't willing to change. And that's you know one thing. I've always wanted to give the people the best thing out there that I can find and train in, and. You know, it's, you know, heartbreaking, I think, for people in the industry, in my opinion, to to not look at it. They just don't want to change everything that they've done and say, instead of saying, hey, look, we found some holes in what we're doing and we want to fill those holes. And we think, 
you know, changing this way is going to keep you safer. I think people really respect that, but I don't think some people yeah. can even do that. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is that in the world of medicine, let's just say surgery, for example, if a surgical team, if their training is outdated and their methods are outdated for anywhere from six months to 18 months, they can be sued for malpractice. And what we do in self-defense, especially with a lethal weapon, the stakes are just as high, but it's actually complicated than what they do in the OR. I know this because my wife works in the OR every day. And so if you think about that, all of our industry should be sued for malpractice for using methodologies that are 50 or 60 years old, not six to 18 months old. The, the methodology that's being used in the firearm training industry is, you know, about 55 years old. They're still doing the same shit that they did yeah. have, have all along. Now we have updated data. We have updated technology. We, we have upda updated information. Um, that we have we have research that's literally up on the way human beings to learn in these days of content. It's really frustrating and aggravating to see that people just absolutely refuse to. And I think a part of it is they've sold themselves as having all the answers. And so now if they, they painted themselves into a corner and they don't have the ability to admit they're learning on an ongoing basis like everybody else is because they need to yeah. present themselves as this kind of a master or something. I don't know. It's really strange. It's irresponsible. Yeah. Yeah, I can't figure out that personality. It's, it doesn't make sense to me to, to not want to do something cutting edge and look at the data and what you're actually doing in your training. And that brings me up to something I wanted to, you had mentioned in level two um, about your training, things that you said you did weekly, monthly, quarterly, and yearly as part of your training routine. Can you touch on that? Yeah. Yeah, well, I have uh, what I call primary, secondary, and tertiary skill sets. And the things that I consider to be primary, I'm doing on a daily basis. They're highest probability skills that I need to have. They're, they're, it's happening six days a week. I take one day a week off. Um, actually, a lot of uh, the things that I'm practicing once a week um, or twice, sometimes I practice two, two or three times a week or once, once two, one, two or three times a week. Those are still primary skill sets that require a high volume of repetition in order for me to re, you know, maintain a level of unconfidence. And then the secondary skill sets I'm gonna do quarterly. You know, those are things doing, you know, every, every few months I'm going out and I'm working on those things. Then, then the secondary skill Thing really focusing on, sort of, you know, we have to go into, and I'm, I'm happy to do it if you'd like, kind of yeah. what the statistics show the probabilities. You know, I already talked about the highest probability are going to be simple assaults, right? Yep. Oh, the, the, the simple assaults are going to be the things that I'm going to punches and trying to slam me into all or you know put hands on me and wrestle me in some way and overpower me in some way so that's where i'm spending my time you know every day and also the highest probability aggravated assaults those are the things that i'm practicing on a daily basis 
or from things I'm practicing, you know, once two or three times a week, depending on depending on what it is that I'm talking about. So, for example, edge weapon defense while I'm sealed, that's high probability aggravated assault. So that's something I practice defending twice a week against an impact on forced trauma, things like that. Those are things I'm practicing two or three times a week. You know, going to the ground, somebody tackles me to the ground or they have me slammed up against the wall. Those are things I'm practicing two or three times a week, right? Yeah. Uh, transitioning in multiple attackers and multiple targets. Um, that's something that I'm, you know, again, that's something that's a, more of a secondary skill that I'm practicing a little bit less often. And the tertiary skills, like the use of my carbine, right? Defending a knife attack while I'm on the ground active shooter, uh, you know, close quarters combat, CQB, things like that. Those are things that I'm practicing, you know, practicing quarterly. So that's kind of how I will prioritize my personal training. And it's kind of how our, how our curriculum is laid out as well. Yeah, I think it's the level one to two. What I've seen so far is laid out really well and kind of hits those high probability things that are going to happen to you and you're getting that practice because if yeah. you're not doing it you're just talking about it and you know that would be great if we could sit yeah. around and have a coffee and talk about stuff and get better but we need to practice and see those situations yes. so yeah an, intell- an intellectual understanding is not enough right yes we can't just have we can't just have an intellectual understanding of it it's an actually a, it's a it's a different kind of memory where we have a declarative memory, like when you remember somebody's name or date, and we're declaring that memory. And then there's an illicit memory. The illicit memory, the memory that the body has. And so we're, you're talking about two different databases and two different types of memory altogether. Yeah, I have one of, one of my um, students who's been with us doing fitness, and he's in his 70s, and now he's added IDS to his membership here and um, very smart guy. And I had to tell him the other day just to work. He wanted to fully understand. I'm like, you're not going to understand this today. You just need to get some reps. I just need you to do it. You're not going to fully understand until you get those reps and you feel the situation. That's right. Um, I think he was a little aggravated at me, but. (laughs) Feel feel and flow. That's where it's at. Feeling yeah. flow. We have to. We have to feel it. We have to be in there. We have to, like you said, we have to be doing it. Get your mind out of the way and let your body do the learning. Yeah, there's so much to. Can it, I think we're can, just, some people with those big minds, they want to intellectualize their way through it, right? Yeah, I'm like because that's that's what they do. Yeah, that's how they got through life. They intellectualize their way through life, right? Yeah, but they're not going to be able to intellectualize their way through an ambush, right? And that's the majority of majority of violent crimes that happen are ambushes where the assault and the intent is concealed until the last possible moment so there's no time to think about it you have to it has to be learned at the level of reflex so good for you that's that's what's best for your students yeah and i think that kind of brings up to a question i had i can't remember the term that you used for it and I wish I could remember, and none of the guys can remember. I'm like, that's why you guys were at the training, so you'd remember stuff that I forgot. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is so common where we've got our our potential victim and we've got a would-be attacker, 
and they get in this just verbal debate, you know, the student is trying to de-escalate in a way, but they're now allowing the person to close distance, you know, get yeah. the advantage. And I've always, I would tell people, look, I would have hit him like 10 seconds ago. Like that fight was already like about to happen. What are you waiting for? Um, it's you're the monkey, just, da- the mon- the monkey, the monkey dance. dance. Yes. Write it down. Write it down. Sparkle Sash. Write it down. Sparkle Sash. Write it down. The longer that the monkey dance goes on, the, the, the higher the probability of uh, force, the higher probability of, of it becoming a violent account. The, actually, the more violent things become. So the faster that you can interrupt that by, by the, either by conflict avoidance or de-escalation, which probably isn't going to happen if somebody's already made up their mind that they're going to use violence, you could actually attract more violence. So at that point, you're actually practicing deterrence or you're acting preemptively if you can succinctly articulate your justification. For example, they were showing pre-incident indicators. They're showing pre-violence indicators, and they were imposing themselves onto you against your wishes. We don't have to wait to go for. We don't have to wait for them to throw the first strike. If, right? We don't want to be behind the eight ball. We want to lead yeah. the dance. We don't want to follow them. So if we can justify that preemptive strike, then that's going to be our best option. We want to go first. Yes. When exactly. we can. When, yeah. When, when we're we justified. Can. When we're yep. justified and when, and when there's real necessity, we're not saying that people should run around punching people in the face or attacking people. Yes. It's just the opposite <laughs> of that. We're using force as a countermeasure to violence. Yep. Yeah. I always tell people, look, you know, you got to change your tone. Like, be loud in here. Like, back off. If somebody's not complying with that, they're showing intent. They continue to move forward. You need to be able to articulate why you hit them but you're in fear for your life especially when it happens to women i'm like why did you get in this debate with this person i'm gaining ground on you i'm getting closer to you you felt threatened because we've been socialized to be victims it's not polite they don't want to they've been socialized they've been punished since birth for being rude but the problem is that a large, you know, not a large, but a, about 20% of our population falls into the category of antisocial personality disorders. And so they don't, they don't have empathy. They don't care about your boundaries. And so what happens is that those people who fall into that category of personality disorder, they exploit the good intentions of a good person, right? And so yep. we've been trained to treat these people with with politeness but they don't understand politeness and so that's why they exploit everything and everyone around them yeah right yeah sometimes yeah people are just too nice and they, they don't want to you know even be loud it's amazing i mean that's one thing we try to do in our kids class i'm like be loud don't sound like a little mouse you sound like a victim be loud you know stand Raise up your for voice. yourself yeah Search yourself, create that boundary. There's behavioral boundaries, right? There's nonverbal boundaries, there's verbal boundaries, there's physical boundaries. And, and that's one of the ways that we know what we're, who, we're, who we're dealing with because somebody who has empathy is going to respect those boundaries, right? They're going to give you the distance that you want, the distance that you need, and they're going to probably apologize for making you feel uncomfortable. And if someone isn't willing to respect those boundaries, then that's a big clue and indicator for uh, what you're dealing with.
right? You force them to show their hand. So now you can know what you're dealing with and what types of actions need to be taken. Yeah. I think that um, how you add in to the training of, you know, going back and debriefing on different scenarios and, you know, why did you do it? Being able to articulate that of when did you go? Why did you decide to go? And can you articulate, you know, in the court of law that what, you know, what do you, what you did was justified. And I think that's, you know, kind of fantastic add on. And we, you know, absolutely do it in IDS, but we've added that into our Krav Maga system when we can, when we're doing different drills. And, you know, we see some students are like, he was near me or it was a bigger guy. I'm like, you, you drew your weapon just cause he was a bigger guy. I don't really see right, that. Right, <laughs> right, right. And it forces yeah. them to, to be a little bit more decision. mentally competent about what they're doing. So when you add decision-making into the training, that's contextualized. So there's a big difference between uh, generic information processing, like shooting a square or a circle or a color. That's general, generalized information generic information processing this what we're talking about is contextualized decision making that's coupled with your motor skills and so what happens is that those those two things get encoded together so your perceptions then dictate what actions you'll take and then your actions that you take will also dictate your perceptions so the two are interdependent they're in they're integrated that's why the name, we have the name of our business is integrative defense strategies we're taking multiple things and we're integrating them together we're baking them into the cake they're not separate they're not fractured or fragmented so we're taking the firearm we're taking the combatives we're taking the decision making we're taking the use of force and the legalities and the tactics and the psychology and we're baking all of those things together into one those things are indivisible and they should not be separated. If they're separated, then people aren't going to perform well. It's like learning to play the game of basketball by just shooting free throws, right? Yeah. Or learning, learning to play hockey by figure skating. Those two things are very, are very different. But the, the training world will lead you to believe that they're the one and the same, but they're not. It sounds intuitive and it sounds obvious when we hear it this way, but when you look at it and we realize that that's what the prevailing status quo and that's what the prevailing paradigm is, we very quickly realize how deficient and dangerous it actually is to teach people that way. Yeah. And you can see it when you open your eyes to it and if you're willing to, you know, to look and see, see a new way of training which I hope more people find so people are safer out there. I mean, that's the name of the industry, you know, self-defense, like do the best thing you can do out there and change the way yeah. you train. Well, right. Well, they've distorted what self-defense actually is. The industry has distorted what self-defense actually is, and they've turned it into a form of fitness, which is important, but it's not self-defense, and they've turned it into a form of entertainment. Yep. Yeah, sometimes I uh, tell my Krav Maga students that they're they're really good at the zombie apocalypse. Like, if it's a zombie apocalypse, you guys are going to be great, but you're just <laughs> destroying everything. Like, that guy behind you was, you know, you weren't going to kick that guy. It's just a guy behind you, and you're attacking him. It's a guy with a cell phone. Yeah. 
it's you know different things i'm like you can't just annihilate i mean it's you know it's funny actually if i had the time i might start a another social media account because there's a fantastic guy out there um I think it's it's uh, on Instagram making wads great again, and he makes fun of CrossFitters, which my wife thinks is hysterical being a CrossFitter. Um, but he he really pokes fun at like all the good stuff. I mean, it's very funny, but there's a lot to be made fun of in in the martial arts of things that you know we've done. You know, I'm like I've done them, but it's realizing like, hey, this isn't the best way to train. Somebody you know taught you this, and it wasn't really the best thing. So, well, what what's happened in, in terms of the edge, you know, what's happened in the industry is that instructors are they're just going based on what they've been taught. They haven't really looked into the science of motor learning at all, and they're all and they're also going simply based on tradition and intuition. And those things are don't even come close to the science of motor learning at all. They're so far off. It's it's comical. It's embarrassing. And you know that's your job. Your job is to know motor learning. Your job is to keep people alive and train them in the best possible way. So you might want to come up to date and actually do a bit a little bit of research. Either that or seek somebody else out who can share with you what that research is, which is exactly what you've done. Yep. Yeah, that um, brings me to to something that you've talked about. You know, motor learning. If anybody out there listening, is there a, a 101 book that you would like, that's a great place to start off as an instructor? I know you've got mountains of books, but. That's what we what I've really done is I've created an, an, an aggregate of the 40 years of research that I've done and all the textbooks and, you know, and experts, for lack of a better word, experts that I continue to learn from on that topic. Um, but I would say, you know, it's, it's a very, it's an overly simplified book, but, um, what, let's see, what's the one I'm thinking of right now? Uh, it'll, it'll come to me. It'll come to me in a second. I've got okay. so many going through my head all at once that the titles all, yeah. the titles all end up blending together, um, all end up blending together in my mind. Now there's, uh, make it stick is one. That, that, that one just popped into my head. That's a great book. Make it stick. Uh, the Talent Code. The Talent Code is another one. But I'll tell you, that's, those are very introductory, and they don't really go into the science of this, uh, what I keep talking about with ecological dynamics, representative design. And um, that's, what, that's what, really, what people really need to understand when it comes to motor learning like this because there's so many things that are baked into the cake at the same time. The reason why is because in our reality, in the reality of self-defense, the variables are unpredictable and unrepeatable, right? And yeah. so there's motor learning for, for predictability, things that are choreographed, right? Things that are we know what we're going to be doing exactly, that's, that's predictable. Then there's a semi-predictable learning environment and performance environment, and then the unpredictable performance environment and learning environment. And our environment is unpredictable and unrepeatable. So therefore, we need to train in a way where we can experience a lot of repetition without repetition. Let me repeat that. We learn to train in a way that requires repetition without repetition. So no two repetitions are the same. It requires us to make an observation and have true interaction 
so that we can really train to respond to the nuances of violence because violence is filled with nuance the variables are never the same twice yeah it's so you know things out there never happen the same way <laughs> even uh, when you sometimes when you try to get somebody to go back and fix a mistake like hey let's go back look at that again sometimes the attacker doesn't even do the same exact thing over again um, in the attack for that person to improve it's they're always no. different and the industry wants to standardize something that is not standardizable it's not it's not you can't lasso a cloud right so we don't take a standardized approach we take a a non-standardized approach because it can't be standardized. And so that's why we focus on what's called performance-based training instead of outcome-based training, right? If it's a predictable environment and if you make it standardized, well, therefore you can train people to the outcome. But the reality is there's no outcome that you can prepare for. You can only prepare to perform. And so this is why we want to train in a way where there's a high level of failure because failure is a biological requirement in order for competence to actually, you know, for competence to actually occur. And so we get better and better and better at recognizing, as you mentioned, the OODA loop, that recognizing those variables and, ad and being adaptive to whatever set of circumstance that we, that we find ourselves faced with. If we, if we train in a way that is standardized and our environment is non-standardizable, well, that's maladaptive. That means that we aren't prepared to adapt to uh, something that's fluid and changing and alive with real resistance in real time and compressed time versus a, an actual adversary where the context and the constraints that we're building are that that are representative of reality. Yes, I think that's, that's one thing I love about new students is sometimes just throwing them into a drill and go and figure it out. Yeah. I'm just, it's, way better i just said it to a guy i think on monday of like look you're not going to be the first person and you're not and you're not definitely not the last that i said just just figured out the guy's taking a haymaker swing and of course his partner's like he doesn't know the blocks i'm like he doesn't need to know the blocks he's going to figure it out <laughs> you're like you might hit him once lightly but he's going to figure it out dude he's taking a swing at you yeah make some sort yeah, of defense and figure it out right Right, to borrow from my mentor, Greg Nelson, it's FSO, figure shit out, right? And so the problem is the problem, right? What our industry does is it gives students the problem and it gives them the answer and then they have them repeat the answer over and over again, but they never learn to solve the problem. So what we believe is it's important and the research shows, it's important that you put the problem first. Let them struggle to solve the problem and then guide them through problem-solving process which is called wayfinding in, in motor learning so that the student has the opportunity to figure out how to do math they're not just memorizing math, a math problem and repeating it they're actually learning the principles of doing the math right or the calculus of violence yeah it's so different than you know here's a technique and train it and the, the traditional approach. I like yeah, it. Yeah, we have to be we have to be prepared for anything that comes our way by understanding the principles of defense, the principles of violence, as opposed to a collection of techniques. I would rather teach my students how to make keys and be a key maker than give them a collection of keys. 
Yeah, I love that saying. It's, you know, like, figure it out, solve the problem instead of just because it's always different. I think that when people come to the martial arts and self-defense, they're just looking for a definite answer. And you're like, every situation is different. We've got to figure it out. You got to, you know, fight well, on, do something. They've been brainwashed since childhood, right? Everything they see in martial arts is people doing katas, right? Everything they see in television and video games and Hollywood and, and going to martial arts schools has created this false paradigm of katas and somehow these pre-choreographed moves are going are gonna to do something for you. You need to know, you need to have what we call fight IQ. My first thing I ever said to you guys when I trained with you, I asked you the question, what is fight IQ? And so the whole objective is to teach students to, to have the IQ of self-defense. Yes. Yeah, that I, I really so like that. So that they can make That's the goal. Whoops, you kind of broke up right after that. That's the goal. The more people that we have who are trained like this, the safer and the better the world will be and the better human beings that we have because they're practicing personal development through what we call positive resistance. They're, they're intentionally putting themselves in a healthy form of, of uh, struggle. That's what we want. Healthy form of adversity. We become better human beings that way. Yes. It's, I think it's what's wrong with a lot of the culture and the depression and, you know, people just on social media too much, you know, all of this stuff that's going on. People don't want to get uncomfortable. They don't like failing, which there's so much failing yeah. in training. Like, great, you learned, you did, you know, you tried something, it didn't work, whatever, whatever it is, they you're just not that, that good. <laughs> they want that, no, they want that instant gratification. They want that, right? They want that certificate. They want the social media posts. They want the belt. They want the certain color t-shirt. They have, so they want, they want these trinkets instead of just, instead of wanting the actual skill and the ability. And so that's who we're interested in. We're interested in the people who want to, who want to cultivate skill for real, not for pretend, and then continue to cultivate it for the rest of your life. Yeah, it definitely is way more fulfilling. That's a, I mean, I constantly say, you know, I, what I do, I mean, this, I, I was, uh, out to, over somebody's house for dinner on Saturday that I never met. My wife had um, known his for years. And, you know, he's like, at the end of the night, um, I said, well, what do you like doing? And I'm like, well, I like to hike and camp and, you know, off-road. But basically uh, what I do at my gym is what I really like to do. I love to, you know, test myself and, and fight and test skills. And that's, I love doing that. And of course it, went into um everything that we do here and ids and he as he's a hunter and uh long range shooter and thought was extremely intrigued um by ids and what we do and how different it is and it could see it really just sparked him tremendously because he was a guy that um did some long range shooting just to improve himself as a hunter and his friend was trying to get him to go pro and he's like, you can, he's like, dude, I don't want to do that. I just want to be a better hunter. I just, you know, we're shooting with you and doing these things to be a better hunter. So, you know, I didn't wound an animal. I took the right shot and I, I was prepared for my hunt. Um, and I, I thought it was quite Amen. interesting that, Amen. you know, 
Yeah. And you say, I, I don't want to just be a professional shooter. I want to go out there and do it for real. So hearing about IDS and the Citizen Defender Program, you know, he's quite intrigued and, you know, telling him about like what we do. And it's just like, wait, that's different. That's not like what I've seen and, you know, what happens at a range. I'm like, look, just drawing from concealment is, you know, a huge skill and when to do that. And, you know, you don't want to get caught up in your garment that we see, you know, so many people do in training. It's doing those reps is just going to make you better and more prepared, worst case scenario. So, if you, you know, if that's all you're doing, you're just going to a dance class. Yeah. You're running a parlor <laughs> trick, right? It's not integrating any of the other variables at all. You're not, not learning to perform. And it's another thing that's a problem is that that's practice, right? And a lot of people and a lot of instructors prepare people to look good in practice instead of perform. And teaching people to perform, there's a lot, of, it looks ugly. It's training, right? Because it's not perfect. The variables are way too, I keep talking about, because the variables are way too random and rapid and violent and chaotic. It's not going to be perfect and pristine and beautiful. But people have been, again, and they've been brainwashed and indoctrinated to believe that it looks a certain way because the big name instructors say we train people like they fight, but the reality is they don't. Yeah, I, it's definitely out there in the Not world. Close. Yeah, instructors don't even possess the skills to fight. They don't know yeah. how. They, they just pretend like they do because who who in this industry wants to admit they don't know how to fight? So they'll imply that they do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Show me. Don't tell me. Yeah. I, uh, you saw you know, the videos we were posting from level six. Almost all the videos we posted from level six were us going live. Level two also, when you were at, yeah. we go live. Yeah. We, don't, we don't always, I mean, we still edit videos, don't get me wrong, but we don't edit together a whole bunch of highlights and stuff. Like when I'm training, I'll push, I'll show you me training and going through the process, right? And same with when we're running an instructor course, we just go live. So we're not huffing. We're showing you exactly what's happening in real time. Everybody has a live button on their damn phone. Yeah. Just push it. It's that simple, right? What are you hiding? Yep. Yeah. What are you hiding? Somebody... Unless you want to put together a choreographed highlight reel, right? Yep. Yeah. And, you know, that's good advertisement, but it's not real. I think some of those ones actually, they just had a student go, Somebody did this in one of your videos. I'm like, they might have been failing. I'm not sure which video you're talking about, but um, I don't always show the best stuff. And that's, you know, for, year, for yeah. years. I mean, I've students are like, oh, why did you put that video on there? Like, you were exhausted and tired. Who cares? Like, you know, you were, you see, you see you were in a can, test. You see, what can, you see what can happen with social media? Oh, it's you terrible. have these... Yeah. People who have sold their soul, what they're doing is they're creating an unrealistic expect. Your student had an unrealistic expectation performance of extreme yeah. stress and compressed time. Failure is going to happen. You watch the best fighters in the world. There's a decent percentage of their fight that's failure. And they're the best in the world. Yeah. Because it's just hard. Yeah. Again, they've been, they've been trained They've been brainwashed to believe that this looks a certain way. And good for you. Put theirs out there. Yeah, I think that was the first thing I put 
back from level two on my, um, you know, we have two channels here, RMSDF and the, our online stuff, Clear Sky. That was the first thing I put on Clear Sky was a video of me failing in one of the drills that we did. I'm like, I want my students to see it. I want Absolutely. people to see it. Like, you know, like failure's great. I mean, you, you learn a ton from it and it makes you think versus, oh, I you won didn't that. Create that. As the instructor, we need to show ourselves failing because that gives our students permission to fail. And it's a f scientific fact. I know an awful lot about neuropsychology. Something called myelination, which is the, the, pro the neurological process of competence. In order for that to occur, by, in order for, for unconscious competence to occur, then they must experience consistent failure. It's a biological requirement for competence to even happen at all. If you're not experiencing failure, you're not you're not learning. Yeah, you're just giving you're just giving you're just being you're just being given the illusion of competence, not real competence. Sorry, not sorry. Don't apologize. Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah. you so believed a lie. That's not my fault for that. I'm telling you the truth, right? Treat the person that lied to you. Don't be angry. Don't shoot the messenger. Don't be angry at the person that pointed out the lie. Yeah. It's something that drives me crazy sometimes, even with students that they'll, yeah, like a, a knife attack. I'll see them miss, like they're coming right at, and they'll, they'll miss the person. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing that? Want, and sometimes like it's unconscious. Wanna... What's that? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, exactly. You got like, it. You know? They're going to learn more if you just touch them. I'm like, you know, no, don't knock somebody's block off. We're training slow, but you've got to bring and make contact to their body. You're doing a, a stab to their body. Don't miss them. Don't pull it short. They're going to learn more from that little failure. I mean, don't hurt your partner. Be, be smart in your training, but they're going to get right. more out of it than you missing them or stopping it. Just don't bring it to them and, you know, make a light touch, you know, in a, a knife attack or, you know, just a crazy haymaker, you know, they're going to see their failure way quicker than you don't, fooling them as their partner. Them, don't do them the disservice, right? Yeah. Of not giving the opportunity to fail. And so that's why I keep talking about, you know, these these information poor environments where everything's pre-choreographed. They're not making the reads. They're not making decisions. And so that denies them the opportunity to learn. Yes. It's that simple. Yeah. Yeah. I like everything you do. And I know you spend, you mentioned your instructor um, and you spend a lot of um, time at Minnesota martial arts learning and you know, the, the grappling side of it, um, I was a bit surprised, I guess, you know, I tried to go with no, you know, no preconceived ideas of what the training was going to be, but the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu stuff that I've done and different things in the Krav Maga system, you know, really put you vulnerable as a concealed carry holder. And, you know, I like they're how- not, the, the gun changes at all. Yeah, yeah they're, not, they're not the same. They're not the same. The context dictates the strategy. And so as you know, John, we've created algorithms right around the firearms. So the strategy that we take is not Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, 
right? That's we borrow from different grappling arts. Primarily on our feet, we, we borrow from Greco, Roman wrestling on our feet. And some judo too, because we don't practice takedowns. We practice dumps, trips, and sweeps because we want to remain standing while our adversary goes to the ground. And if we do go to the ground, we're not practicing jujitsu. One, we want to get on top. We're not going for submissions, right? We're going for a control position. We need to monitor arms and hands. We're on dangerous surfaces. There's probably multiple attackers. We feel and be able to access our weapon if we need it. We need to prevent them from getting their hands on theirs. And the list goes on and on. We have to practice the science. We have to practice the legalities governing the use of force. So I have to use the appropriate level of force. Like someone throws the, the approaches that we take are radically different. And uh, so grappling for concealed carry is its own art form. It's yes, that, that simple. Contact based strategy. Yeah, that just tops off anything that we miss because it is, I mean, you know, Muay Thai, boxing, Krav Maga, whatever it is, BJJ, wrestling, it just changes when you have that firearm on you and it is its own system. It's, you know, borrow and use what works out there, but, you know, all that repetition of doing a sport and, you know, type of stuff or even just positions that you're in in Krav Maga with that weapon, it puts you vulnerable. Like that's not the best thing, and it it is its own system when you talk about things. And I think a lot of people want to blend the what most, they're already doing. The most basic thing changes because you have that firearm on. Basic change when you're on a dangerous. Even the most basic thing, weapons are in any way, shape, or form, or if there's multiple attackers, or when you're practicing, you know the rules that govern the use of force that changes that changes all of it so how we move will change um, just because we have a weapon in play in a weapons based environment yes yeah I strongly encourage anybody out there listening that is not familiar you should really check it out don't fool yourself um, you've got to train with that weapon and test your system and things that work at least you know i thought you know we were starting to do a bit more in our higher level class our peaceful warrior class with you know having a knife on you having that trainer having a having a a simunition gun or, or you know we use a lot of ram guns um in our gym before we got the cert pistols and testing it and you know i'm really glad i found ids because it you know saves you 13 plus years right of trying to figure the stuff out yourself so you know it don't make that mistake i thought i was you know safer having done all the stuff i've done over the years but it really is its own system you can borrow from from your current system and apply those things but you need to train that way i like what you say like four out of five rounds you're training as if you have that firearm on and i'll do one for fun or I actually have it on. I have a trainer on, right? Yep. And that's 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 what I'm doing, right? Yep. I am. That's what I do. Yeah. You know, um, one of our affiliates, his name is Kyle McCabe, out of uh, South Dakota. I like what he says. He says, you know, there are things about this style of self-defense that you haven't thought of, and this curriculum will show you those things that never occurred to you, but you've never thought of. 
Yes. Um, I think that he does a good job of na- he does a good job of, of nailing it with that statement. Yeah, he did. He nailed it with that. Definitely. I like that a lot. So, well, awesome, Todd. I'm sure we could go on and on, but I've taken a bunch of your valuable time. I really appreciate you um, taking the time to be on our podcast and helping us out here and try to change you know what's going on in the industry and bring in that new paradigm so we appreciate you and everything you've done thanks a ton todd i will talk to you soon appreciate you guys too keep up all the great work we will thank you all right bye thanks Thanks a lot bye-bye thanks everyone for joining us today um Again, a big thank you to Todd Fossey of Integrative Defense Strategies. If you're looking for some training, you can check out rmsdf.com. We would love to introduce you to the system. Take care and have a great day.